If you'll um, open your Bibles to Daniel 9, <clears throat> we're going to be in um, Daniel 9 this Sunday and probably next Sunday as well. I want to, well, let me just say a quick word about Daniel 8, because we won't be looking at Daniel 8 uh, we won't be preaching through Daniel 8. In a lot of ways, it's similar to Daniel 7 in the sense that there is um, spider web right here I gotta get rid of. Uh, in Daniel 7, we had those beasts, those creatures, and they stood for kingdoms, and, and uh, it was the way that the Lord was helping Daniel anticipate what was coming. Well, Daniel 8, there's creatures again, they stand for kingdoms, but the Lord gives Daniel a clarity kind of <clears throat> over the next several hundred years. <clears throat> and the point of Daniel 8 that might be worth mentioning is that the vision that he has leads Daniel to a person who we know as Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes was a ruler. He was a Seleucid, uh, a ruler in the, the Seleucid Empire, but he doesn't really show up in like world history books that often. He's not really significant in the grand scheme of things. But in Jewish history, he's significant because he becomes the first of a type of character that starts to play a role among God's people, and that is the role of the Antichrist. Antiochus Epiphanes is the first image we have that portends of what we think of as the Antichrist coming. So um, he wasn't just a ruler uh, that ruled over the region of Israel at the time. He actually made it his point to de-Judaize Israel, to abolish Judaism. So he made it illegal to circumcise. Circumcision was punishable by death. Uh, <clears throat> he ordered Jews to sacrifice to pagan gods. He made them eat unclean food. He set up a statue of Zeus in the temple and sacrificed pigs to it. And in as many ways as he could think, he desecrated and, and desolated Jewish uh, belief and practice. And in that way, he's the first of one to come. Uh, and that's maybe some of the role of Daniel 8. As an interesting note, <clears throat> Daniel's description of the kingdoms leading up to Antiochus Epiphanes and, and his sort of personhood is so historically compelling that it is the chief reason why, I think this is the chief reason why uh, theologically liberal historians um, come to the conclusion that Daniel had to have been written after the life of Antiochus Epiphanes because nobody could get it that right. It's, it's he's so correct, it challenges like people's belief, uh, which uh, is not a challenge for me, thank the Lord. But uh, anyway, that's Daniel 8. We're going to be in Daniel 9 this morning, and I'll start with a thought. I'm going to tell you a little story of something that happened to me once, a friend of mine, me and a friend, and uh, it'll play into this in the message. Um, back when I was flying... We were taking six A-10s from uh, Philadelphia, Willow Grove, 
all the way to Alaska. It was a two-day trip. And the first day was a long seven-hour flight from uh, Philly to Tacoma, Washington. We don't fly as fast as your airliners go. We're actually not that fast of an airplane. So it was a long flight, and there were six of us, and they usually give you a tanker, uh, an air refueling tanker to kind of haul you over. And the tanker has the radar, and we just fly along with it and get gas. Well, the weather, have you ever flown in an airplane and you look out and the weather, weather is really schmeezy, uh, like soupy, soupy, um, where it's not like puffy white clouds that are, you know, engulf you, but you're not quite sure how far you can see. Can I see 100 feet? Sometimes you go, oh, I can see the wingtip of the airplane, but you can't necessarily know if you see much farther. Well, our whole trip, our seven-hour trip was in that. So there was a long stretches where we were in fingertip, which is really uh, kind of like, like when you see the Thunderbirds when they're close, you had to fly that way for hours. Uh, really, really frustrating, get your neck tired and sore. So we finally got, we were in California and we got to this space where the soupiness seemed to let off a little bit and we just pushed ourselves out wide. So there were six of us, three on each side of the tanker and we put a mile in between each of us. Just let's get out so we can stretch our necks, relax a little bit. And we did that for a couple hundred miles, I suppose. And then all of a sudden, the weather got bad again. And so uh, the flight lead said, and I just translated into regular people talk, like, hey, come on back. We have words for that, but come on back and quick. Right? And so... There was this rush, and I was, on the, I was the outrigger on the right, and my buddy was the outrigger on the left. So we were two miles away from the tanker, and the weather's getting bad. And so there was this rush to sort of close the distance and get up close again, kind of like, uh, well, like that. And right as we were about to get in, and we had all of this smash coming in, right as we were about, the clouds got thick and everything disappeared. It'd be like if you were skateboarding towards a crowd of people in a gym and someone turned the lights off right as you were about to get there. So I, on my side, panic and I do my thing, disappear into the clouds, come out alive and uh, figure things out. And my friend does the same thing on his side. And before long, the come back out of the clouds, I see the tanker and I climb up and I I get on with, with, with the other four airplanes, but my friend, there's nowhere to be found. We can't find him anywhere. And again, we use really cool radio talk to do this, but I'll just dumb it down. We're like, hey, where are you? You know, and he's like, I can't see you. I'm like, we're all here, man. We're all here. And he's like, I'm looking. I'm looking and I can't see you. And then I hear in my radio, his radio transmission gets scratchy. And I know he's getting farther away from us. So I say to him, hey, dial up. And there's a way we could dial something up to see how far we were apart from each other. So I put in my code. He puts in his code. And I see 22 miles. What had happened is when he came in and we disappeared, in his, uh, like that, he actually overcorrected and did that. And he was heading south and we were heading north. And there was 22 miles, 24 miles. You know, when you're moving, you're moving. Uh, And uh, 
Needless to say, that lived with us for a long, long time. He's never quite lived that down. Uh, but it took him about three hours to catch up because we don't really want to slow down. So for about three hours, L.A. Center yelled at us because we had this huge problem for them. But what I want to just say is there's times in our life where we don't see things clearly for what they are. Something's not quite right, but we don't understand why it's not quite right. And then when we do finally get clarity, it's way worse than what we expected. It's really bad. And today is going to be that sort of thing with, with Daniel. So if you look at Daniel, um, we're going to read the first three verses. And in, <clears throat> in these three verses, verses one and two are going to add up to equal verse three. So here's what it says. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Like I said, verses one and two add up to verse three. So in verse one, we, we learn the date. We learn this is in the time of the first year of Darius. If, if What we know is that um, this is a year, a year before the Persians are gonna let the Jews go home. So right now, Daniel is in his 80s most likely, and he has been in exile in Babylon for something like 65 plus years, somewhere between 66 and 69 years, okay? He's been in exile for, let's say, 67-ish sorts of years, He's been in Babylon and he discovers, that's, that's verse one, and he discovers in verse two, somehow the scriptural book of Jeremiah gets to him. Okay, Jeremiah is not an old book right now. Jeremiah lived a generation before Daniel. So the book was written in Jerusalem, Jeremiah's life was in Jerusalem, and the, what he wrote has finally got a thousand miles it's traveled to get to Babylon and Daniel's reading it and when he, in his study of Jeremiah, it says, he learns that the time of the exile is going to be 70 years. So he has been in exile for 67-ish years, and he discovers that the time of the exile is gonna be 70 years. Like, it's almost over. Now, it's hard to imagine that Daniel read the book of Jeremiah and simply garnered, oh, 70 years. 70 years is not the main point of Jeremiah. The main point of the book of Jeremiah is why are you going into exile? The whole book is a why book. Why is God upset? 
Why are things not going well? It's a why, why, why book. And there's two chapters, chapter 25 and chapter 29 of Jeremiah that talk about this 70 years. Jeremiah has more words, there's more words in the book of Jeremiah than any other book in the Bible. It's the largest word for word in the whole Bible. And it's all why. And in the midst of it is this number 70. So it's, it's exceedingly difficult for me to imagine Daniel studying the book of Jeremiah, finding the 70 and not discovering the why. Which is gonna beget his prayer. We see here in verse three, he fasts, he gets in sackcloth and ashes because now he knows why. It's a, it's a, you can imagine it's someone who when he finally gets clarity on what, what was going on, it's worse than what he ever thought it was. He like, he is seeing the world for what it is and he realizes he's moving in the opposite direction. We'll kind of unearth this some more as we go on. I want to uh, read his prayer. So it's, it's not a short prayer, it's a fairly long prayer. It starts in verse four. This would be one of those times where you wanna decide like, do I learn better? when I just listen, or do I need to learn and read, but you need to kind of, it's a long enough prayer, you need to put your learning cap on. And uh, <clears throat> let me go ahead and, and, and read what, what he says here. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by the servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God who had... had have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. 
For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eye and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That's his prayer. Now, I have to say, I somewhat expected if someone is in 67 years of exile and they find out that the exile's over in 70, I somewhat would have expected him to be like, yes. Like, hey, it's almost done. But his response is the opposite. I think it has to do with the fact that he, in discovering the time, he discovered the why. Why is it that we are in exile in the first place? And you might think, you know, how could Daniel not have known why he was exiled? I'm not that surprised by that. I think uh, ignorance, we we all have ignorance to these things. There's ignorance based upon uh, sinfulness, Uh, And there's ignorance based upon just lack of access. He didn't have the book of Jeremiah. He might not have had the prophets to say why. So, I mean, if you just think about it this way, we live right now in a time of like tremendous biblical access. And yet, so many people who claim to be Christian don't know the word of God. So he doesn't doesn't necessarily know what the word of God has to say about it. And then there are always competing causalities, alternative causalities to why bad things happen. We have them today, right? It's just common with man. We have, you know, if there's a natural disaster, it's global warming. If there's a socio-political disaster, it's him or him. It's, there's always, we are always within arm's reach of a worldly explanation, an alternative to describe why something bad has happened. Why would we think they're any different? Daniel is, he's realizing, this is what he's realizing. Our 70 years of exile are coming to an end and we are not any different. That is not good. So in fasting sackcloth and ashes, he gets down and he begins to pray. And the prayer is unique, okay? I wouldn't say that every one of your prayers should be like this. Like if you're praying for dinner tonight, you don't need to feel the need to 
mimic Daniel's prayer here. But there are some things in this prayer that should be in our hearts constantly. And that's what I want us to draw out. There's three elements of this prayer that I just think are, should live eternally in, in our hearts, especially when we go to the Lord. The first one is, throughout this whole prayer, God is in the right. All the right in this prayer is with God. He's on the right side of everything. It's interesting because in Daniel's world, everything is wrong. There's everything wrong with the world to Daniel, and yet God, in his mind, is on the right side of everything. That's worth noting. Look at verse four. Lord, you're faithful. He says, you keep your covenant and you have steadfast love. Verse six, you've spoken. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people. Verse nine, it's because of your mercy and forgiveness that we're still around. Verse 13, just as you said to Moses, right? As it was written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come to pass. Daniel's saying to the Lord, you've done everything right. You wrote it in your law. You spoke it through your prophets. You've given us forgiveness and mercy, and yet we have not listened. You have been faithful to your side of the covenant, and we have been unfaithful to our side of the covenant. I just think for myself, and I'm thinking of myself, but I, I don't think I'm that unique here, how often when things are not going well, in, even in our prayers, part of our discussion with the Lord is, what are you doing wrong, God? Like, we, we allow ourselves to have this question as though there's a chance that God is on, not on the right side, side of the subject. Like, we have a category for ourselves where God has done something wrong. And we go to him that way. I mean, even when we say, like, why, God? In that, I know I'm not the only person where there's a tinge of, what are you doing, God? Is, there, is, is it possible you're on the wrong side of something? Daniel, everything is wrong in my world, and God is on the right side of everything. Here's the second thing that is worth noting in Daniel's prayer. He takes total and complete responsibility for sin. <clears throat> Both in its depth and in its breadth. This is worth noting. So look, for example, at verse five. Right? He says, this is all the blame, all the blame is on us. In verse five, he says, we've sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside, we have not listened, verse six. It's like we take total responsibility and we have a lot of responsibility to take. And then there's this sense of breadth in the way he takes his responsibility. He, this prayer doesn't have, Daniel doesn't say I or me in this prayer. He says us and we in this prayer. He's praying on behalf of the people and he's taking upon himself the guilt of his people. So it just look, for example, at verse seven. He says this, this, this idea of open shame as at this day, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, all of us, all of us incur this open shame. Verse eight, he says, open shame to our kings, our princes, and our fathers. 
You know, there's a tendency sometimes when we go to the Lord that we work hard to mitigate the sinfulness. Not, not take it on, but mitigate it. You know, Lord, uh, I'm sorry for that thing. You know, kind of like when you fight with your spouse and you're making up, you're like, I'm sorry that I said it that way, but I had a point, you know? It's this, I'm gonna give you like a 31.5% sorry. Uh, I wanna be really careful. Uh, there's this way that we wanna go to the Lord in our righteousness, that we think our righteousness, and like our sinlessness is what's gonna move the Lord to action, when in fact, what Daniel does is a holier, is an, is a holier approach with his. He looks at the sin of his people and he connects himself to it. We don't like to do that. We, would, we like to look over and see their sinfulness and go, that's their sinfulness. And that's their sinfulness. And why do they live the way they do over there? We like to imagine that we don't have a role with that. Daniel, we're complicit. We're complicit. There's a third element in this prayer that is really great. It's, it's towards the end. It's the nature of Daniel's hope. His hope is in God's nature, not in our potential. Look at verse uh, 17. Now, therefore, listen to our prayer, the prayer of your servant, for your own sake. And then he goes on in verse 18. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Your great mercy, Lord. This is not a prayer of confession where it's like, I'll do better next time, or just give me a second chance, or... You know, I believe the children are the future. It's not that. It's a prayer. It's, it's saying our hope is only in you. Like, we have no potential in the realm of true righteousness. I think this is a great prayer. And it has these, these elements. God is on the right side of things. Bearing the sins of others. You know, this, is, um, this idea is a sign, by the way. You, you, you know a mark of maturity in the Lord? Mark one would be that in your prayer life, more and more you would know God has not made a mistake. You don't, you're not going to the Lord with frustration. And you know, we do that. But the more, the more we grow in the Lord, the more you know, I'm going to the Lord knowing that he's done everything right. He's not late or lazy. You know, we've, in church circles, someone might confess to you something like, uh, they might say it this way. They give it a certain kind of integrity. They go, right now I'm just dealing with a lot of anger with the Lord. And as a kind of a fellow Christian walking along this world, you kind of, yeah, you know, you, you, you empathize with that person who's dealing with a lot. At least in this setting, okay, I know that feeling. I just want to say, in this setting, we should, we should see the heresy of that thought. God has done nothing wrong. 
in a way to the Lord. The right, the highway to our Lord is to know he's in the right. If we could just bring that into our own prayer life, man, that would, that would be just a mark of growing in the Lord. In the second one, bearing the sins of others. Bearing the sins of others. I think the more and more you grow in the Lord, the less careful you become about uh, what share of that sin exactly did I have and the more you begin to feel, okay? The more you begin to feel like a belonging to a people and, and you begin to wear their sin as your own. Like a mother or father who loves their family, if their child's grieving, they're grieving. Like someone who loves their church or if someone's suffering in the church, they're suffering because of it. the more our prayers move from I and me to us and we. And then this last idea, our hope, our prayerful hope is in his nature and not in our potential. Those three things, I think, uh, ought to live in prayer in general. Watch what happens here. Let me pick up in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now, there's a vision that's going to follow, and most of that's for next week. But what I want us to appreciate in this moment, it's a really great moment. While I was praying is how Daniel searches. In the midst of my prayer of confession, Gabriel shows up. You almost can imagine he doesn't quite get to amen and Gabriel's there. And then what, Gabe, what we find out from Gabriel is, Gabriel says, from the moment you began to pray, I was sent to you. And in the ESV, it says he came to him in swiftness. Uh, some translations might say in haste. Some translations say Gabriel came in extreme weariness. The idea... The idea of the whole thing is that the moment Daniel, you can imagine, the moment he begins to adopt this posture before the Lord, the moment the Lord sees this Daniel's reaction to the understanding, the moment that Daniel realizes I have clarity on the why and we're headed in the wrong direction, the moment that happens, it's almost as though the Lord turns to Gabriel and says, get to him as quickly as you can. And in an all-out sprint, Gabriel, in the duration of Daniel's prayer, runs as fast as he can from heaven to get to Daniel to say, I'm here to tell you how much God loves you. You are so loved by God. It's a wonderful moment. The irony of the whole thing is, and I hope you can feel this irony, is Daniel may have never felt worse in his life than this moment. Like, 
he, as though he has nothing at all to commend to the Lord. And yet before the Lord is Daniel's best moment. And Daniel's been in a lot of interesting places like lion's dens. This is like his best moment. I don't think it's that God likes us to be sad. It's not as though God is happy when we're sad. I think God has joy when you see the world like he sees the world. That's what I think. I think that there's different ways that one could have dealt with the knowledge that in 70 years and you're going to go home. That there's, there's a version, there's a version, another kind of Daniel or a, another kind of character who would have heard the detail of 70 years and we're going, to, we're going to go home and they would have seen the why of Jeremiah but dismissed it like everyone else had dismissed it and thought, you know, hey, I'm excited. We get to go home. Everything's going to be better. It's not my sin. It was my forefather's sin. I was a kid when all that happened. I didn't do that. Heck, it wasn't even my neighborhood. It was the, the people down the street who mostly did that. You know how they are, how they always do that sort of stuff. We never did that sort of stuff. And after all, like, I'm better than my forefathers. Just give me a second chance. And I'll, I'll like, you can imagine somebody who would see it, who would have that reaction, not Daniel. Daniel sees it and says, I have no potential. We have all of this sin. Like, I see it and we're heading in the wrong direction. We are no different going home than we were when we left. And the Lord says, man, you are so loved to see the world like I do. I think we bring the Lord joy when we see the world like he does. And I, I, I just, this is a good moment to talk about how dangerous the sensation of being good is. We like to think we're good. There's this desire we have that if, if I'm good, then I can go to the Lord. And so we're attracted. Good kind of tugs at us. And I just want to say that's a dangerous sensation. God is not looking for good people to pray to him. God is looking for people to see the world the way he sees it and come to him appropriately. All right. You're probably thinking it's time to go and we have this crazy vision. Uh, so I'm only going to read one verse of it. We have one verse left, so you're safe. We'll deal with the rest of the vision next week. But I do want I, I to look at one verse because you have to wonder, how does this vision help Daniel? Like Daniel is despondent. Lord, look at all of our sin. And the angel says, I'm here to help. I got a vision for you. But I think, I think verse 24 says enough that we can, we can find the help in it. The angel says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now we'll deal with like the 70 and, and the meaning of the 70 in a moment. What the angel's sort of saying is he's giving a spectrum of time and he's saying it's this amount of time until these things happen. These six things take place, right? I mean, 
in rebellion, stop sin, atone for iniquity, establish righteousness, seal up. I think the teaching there is to bring to completion or to authenticate the prophets, to anoint the most holy place. Who is that? What is that? Right? You know, if you're in church and you get a question, you don't know the answer, the answer is Jesus. I mean, this is it, right? This is Jesus. Uh, At least I, I think this is the work of Christ. Who else puts an end to sin? Who else atones for iniquity? Who else brings everlasting righteousness? Who else fulfills the law and the prophets? Who else is the anointed one? Who is, who, who is the most holy place but Jesus Christ? There's this, this notion now. The, the question I, that I, I came here asking, the one we're going to close with is, Daniel sees things clearly and realizes like we're headed in the wrong direction. How in the world do we pretend to go back into the land of God the way that we are? Now, a regular person would would simply be caught around getting back to the land of promise, right? That's really, that's where most of our prayers live is getting that and getting that, fixing that, adjusting that. That's what a regular prayer of a regular spirit might be caught in. It's just getting back to the land of promise. Daniel says, why even go back to the land of promise if we are the way we are? And you know what the vision says? Well, God is gonna fix that too. God is gonna fix that too. God is gonna put an end to sin. God is gonna atone for iniquity. God is gonna establish everlasting righteousness. God is gonna fulfill the law and the prophets. God is gonna anoint a most holy person who is like the center. God is gonna solve that. Like Daniel, man, I love you. You see the problem for what it is and I just want you to know I'm gonna solve it. And so we have this blessing, you know, this blessing that you and I have. We, on the other side, you might say, of these 70 weeks where, where we come to the Lord and we see our sin, but we have confidence before the throne. Like we, we know that Apart from the Spirit of God, we don't have any potential before the Lord, but we have the Lord and we have the Spirit. There's a way that I would say our demeanor should be like Daniel's and there's a way that I could say we pray so differently. We pray so differently because of what has happened. I thought what I'd do this morning is just close in prayer and... Just take what we've, we've seen and learned here and bring it to the Lord. So if you'll bow with me. We just, I wanna say these truths and you can say them along with me in your heart. Lord, we wanna confess this morning that in all the wrong of this world, you are always on the right side. And we will confess that broadly And we will confess it personally, Lord, that the things in us that are not right, whether it's our sin or our discontent, we choose this morning to say that things may not be good, but you are on the right side. Lord, and we will follow this up with that the things in the world, the things around us, Lord, the evil that we see, we are not as isolated from as we'd like to think. 
There's a way in which it belongs to us and we belong to it. And for this, Lord, I pray that you open our eyes, that you help us to, towards the maturity of Daniel, that sees a brother fall and feels, and feels a cost, Lord, feels a complicity, wonders, Lord. I, I, I wish, Lord, that this body of Christ would uh, rise and fall together. And finally, this morning, Lord, we, we testify that our potential is, sits with the Holy Spirit who's in us. It's the Spirit at work in us. So, Lord, we pray that over time we might give ourselves more and more day by day to the Spirit. And we pray this with hope. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.